Scripture reading today is from Exodus chapter 4. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it. But your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day as when there was straw. <clears throat> and the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday, as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants. Yet they say to us, make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, you are idle, that is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work, no straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. 
foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us go to the Lord in prayer and ask him for his presence among us as we hear his word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, upon this lengthy text. And Lord Father, if we try to understand it with our own wisdom and our understanding, we will fail to see the great truths that are here. So I pray, Lord, that your presence would be amongst us and that as we hear your words, Lord Father, that we would be moved and we would be transformed and that ultimately you would be glorified. Be with us, God, as we worship you now. Be with us as we hear your word. Open our hearts and transform us to be more and more to the image of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you ever hear the word, trust the process, it's more likely than not that you have found yourself in a bad situation. Anytime those words come up, trust the process, it means that things are not going well, and what's more, more likely is that things are going to get worse before they get better. But this is a phrase we Christians often use. It, not, it may not be trust the process, but we say trust God, trust in his ways. And sometimes we say, mm, that's good, yes, I will trust in his ways. But what does that mean to trust in God's ways? You've also heard it say, God's ways are not the ways of the world. And that brings up another question, what is the way of the world? Oftentimes we'll throw out all these lingo, but sometimes we won't know what it means. And I believe this text comes before us today and provides a little glimpse of what it means for God to work in his ways and the world to work in its ways. God gives us a glimpse of how we need to remain fast and trust in him and in his promises and in his ways. I believe this text before us is um, compelling us, every one of us who believe in God, to trust in his ways, and he reveals to us what his ways are. Remember, his ways are not our ways. It is not the way of the world. And I believe that this text before us today, Genesis, I mean Exodus, chapter 4, sets the Christian up sets their expectations up, and makes them realize and focus upon who God is and all that he can deliver. 
So we're simply going to go through the text, and we're going to see how the world operates compared to how God operates. And hopefully by the end, we will be compelled to trust in God and give glory to his name. So as we begin, um, chapter 4, verses 27 to um, the end of chapter 4, we see things seem to be going well. Moses has finally complied to God's request, and he will go and do God's bidding. And not only that, God has supplied Aaron, his brother, to come along for the ride, and they come and they meet together, and we see something amazing. Aaron and Moses perform these great tasks that God has ordained them to do, and what is the reaction of the people? They believed. They believed and they worshiped. Now, it's not all the people, it's the elders, but the elders represent the people, and they all got together and they began to have what we would say a mini revival. The Lord has appeared, the Lord has come, and they begin to be worshiping God. An amazing feat, a beautiful scene. And so we enter chapter 5 with some amount of optimism. People are, are, are going, we have this wave, we have this momentum that is being propelled from Moses and Aaron, and we see that when Aaron and Moses approach Pharaoh, there is this sense of confidence that God is going to do what he said he was going to do. Verse 1, it's not Moses and Aaron saying, oh Pharaoh, we come respectfully to your throne. None of that. They show up before Pharaoh and they say, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that we may hold a feast, to, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. That's bold. It's a bold claim. He's asking Pharaoh to let all these people go for what purpose? Not for his mercy, not so that they can praise Pharaoh, to have a feast, to have a party in the wilderness. It's a pretty bold request. And attached to that, Moses does not give a return date. He's saying, we're going to the wilderness, we're going to have a feast, and that's it. Thus says the Lord. And what happens right after that? Pharaoh hears this request, and this is what he says. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Here we see that Pharaoh has no idea who this Lord is or who this God is. And neither does he care. He's not asking, oh, who is this Lord or inquiring so that he may know more. He's saying, who is this guy? And it doesn't even matter who this person is. I'm not going to honor the request. Now, I want to remind you who Pharaoh is at this point. Yes, he is the king of Egypt, but in this text, he represents so much more. He represents the powers of the world. He represents this, this battle that goes on between God and the forces of the world, and we need to continually remember that. Because as Christians, what we need to always remember is this, that the world will oppose the will of God. The world will oppose the will of God. And so we should not be frightened when we pursue the will of God and we face a little bit of opposition. In verse 3, we, saw, we see that Aaron and Moses back off a little bit. 
Maybe they didn't expect that kind of response. If we read verse 3, this is what it says. Then they said, the God of Hebrews has met with us. Please, please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Moses and Aaron start backtracking. He's like, oh, so let me explain the context. See, God showed up to us. Please let us go, because if, if you don't let us go, God is going to actually strike us. God never said that. So it's, a, it's, it's an amazing turnabout. Here, Aaron and Moses come in. Thus says the Lord. Pharaoh just says, I don't know the Lord. And they said, okay, sorry, maybe we didn't explain ourselves. Please let us go. It's an amazing turnaround, and, and oftentimes this is <laughs> the reaction of most Christians, including me. We, we, we go to these revivals, we're, we're convinced in the service that God has spoken to us, and God probably has, and well, we, we are convicted to go out and do these things, and we expect the world to come and give us these things, that simply that because God has told us the world is going to accept it as well. But no, that's not what we should expect. The world is going to oppose us. There's going to be nothing easy about going and pursuing the will of God. It's going to be difficult. The world has home court advantage here. We will face opposition. And this is the teaching not only of God, but also the, the teaching of Jesus, who is God. And this is... He continues this teaching in Luke chapter 12, verse 49 and 50, where he says, I have baptism, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. There are two opposing forces always being played out in this world. The will of the world versus the will of God. And as Christians, we should not be surprised that we will face opposition. Uh, I made a pretty bold claim in the beginning that um, we will grow to 300. Still stand by it. But I don't think that's the, again, that's not the problem. <clears throat> the world will find a way to oppose it. It is not in the favor of the evil one of the world for people to become Christian and begin worshiping the Lord our God. It's just not in its will. And so oftentimes Christians will get frustrated. They'll say, why, are, why is the world opposing us? But here in Scripture it explains to us, of course the world is opposing us. It doesn't want it to happen. It goes against the will of God. And so the world will respond as God's church begins to move. Now, one thing we have to know is how will the world respond? And maybe we don't, uh, maybe we don't think about this enough. How does the world respond? Um, this is not necessarily towards... Um, the sermon, but I, I did think it was an interesting point. When we have training in seminary, we have these systematic classes, and we have the doctrine of God, we have the doctrine of man, doctrine of Christ, and all these things, but we have no doctrine of evil or Satan. We spend zero time on it. 
And I think oftentimes that's to the Christian's detriment because we don't understand how the world works or how evil works. Is it sin or is it the devil? It's a good question. And it's something that we have to grow in our understanding. We have to understand how the evil one and how the world operates so we're better equipped to deal with how the world responds to the will of God. And why do I bring this up? Because what we see in the next scene is how the world begins to react when the Lord of God makes his will known. In verse 10, what does it say? It says, So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh. I think the author purposely put that to show that Pharaoh is now going to speak because the Lord's the Lord's speech, nothing has come about. And so we're going to see a comparison. When Pharaoh speaks, we see what happens and what happens. Things begin to move quickly. The world moves very quickly. If we read verses 12 to 14, here's what it says. So the people, this is right after Pharaoh speaks, so the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task, each, um, each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Things move when Pharaoh speaks. And what did Pharaoh say? Pharaoh took away the straw. Now, why is this significant? What, what is this thing? What is everyone working towards? Everyone is working towards to making the Israelites' job harder. When you take away the straw from the bricks, essentially what you're doing is you're taking away a mechanism in which the brick is allowed to dry faster. It gives it its form. So if you don't have the straw, Bricks will crumble. That's why it's significant when Pharaoh says you will produce the same amount of bricks without the straw. On top of that, half the workforce is now going to look for straw. Can't make as many bricks. They are doing back-breaking, painful work. And it only takes less than a couple of hours for this all to get enacted. Here Moses and Aaron come and thus says the Lord, crickets. Pharaoh comes in, thus says Pharaoh, and it moves rapidly. Brothers and sisters, one thing we have to realize is that sin and evil move rapidly through these man-made systems. If we look at our news, it's not a place of great, joyous news. It's, it's a perpetual conduit for, of what evil has happened in the world. These systems that man makes is often used to um, make sure that the world, the will of the world, which is often evil, is being carried out. Things move fast for sin, and we have to acknowledge that. But not only that, we have to observe another thing. In verses 6 to 21, I'm not going to go over the whole thing, but we see this long sequence of events we see the task we, we see the foreman talk to the taskmasters talk to the israelites talk to pharaoh talk to the israelites talk back to pharaoh back to the foreman to the taskman why why is there such great detail in who's talking to whom 
if you look at the, the commentaries, most commentators will say, look at this great piece of historical data. For we begin to understand how the bureaucracy of the Egyptian kingdom worked. And they said it was amazing. See, this shows that the author was there, that this was not made up. If you look at all the hieroglyphics of the Egyptian bureaucracy, it's amazing. And see, the Bible is real. But that is not why verses 6 to 21 is here. I believe verses 6 to 21 shows that evil, not only being fast, is systemic. There's a system of evil that operates. Everyone here, the taskmasters, to the Israelites, to the foremen, have bought in to the power of Pharaoh. They've bought in. They have, they listen to the words of God, and rather than um, um, continuing worshiping God, praising God, they have all bought in that Pharaoh is the one who has true power and that they all need to listen to Pharaoh because it is Pharaoh who holds the true power. And what happens? At that point, the elders, the foremen, come back to Moses and Aaron. Now, who are the taskmasters? Who are the foremen? You just have to know these characters real quick. The taskmasters are Egyptians who meet with the foremen. Those foremen are the representative Israelites, and they talk together of what tasks need to be carried out in Egypt. And so when the foremen talk to the taskmasters, talk to the Pharaoh, they come back to the Israelites, and they blame Moses and Aaron for everything that is going wrong. And this is less than 24 hours. Remember, the scene was they're praising God. Things are going well. Less than 24 hours, everyone is at each other's throats now. See, we see that evil moves quickly, and there is a system. And I think we have to understand and remember that. That when evil moves and the will of the world moves, it moves fast, and it is all around us. It is, we sometimes will think of sin as just an individual act, but we have to remember when we talk about systemic injustices, sins of the system, it is true. The Bible shows that there are systems of injustices that we will encounter left and right, and it is amazing how fast it moves. That is why oftentimes we are telling everybody, trust the process. That feeling of despair that you feel continually, it's real. And why is it real? Is it because Christians are losing? No, because how the system is set up, we are bombarded with the evils of the world. And the important thing we must do is this. We cannot buy into the system. You cannot buy into the system. And what does that mean? Do we just overthrow everything? Uh, I'm not going to watch news anymore. That's not what I'm saying. The only reason all these things happened was because everyone believed it was Pharaoh who truly controlled everything. Everyone moved because they believed Pharaoh had the true power. Even Moses and even Moses said, God, why haven't you acted in this point? See, Moses turns to God, and I don't think Moses is sinning at this point, but he's already in despair despite the long retreat he had with God, despite the revival he had with God. 
24 hours of one new cycle, and he's already on despair, blaming God, saying that God is powerless. And it's always because everyone has bought into the system. And I think this is very relevant for us today. It is no question that evangelicals, all of us, our brothers and sisters, are at each other's throats when it comes to political issues. And I think one of the main reasons is is we've bought into the belief that the American system holds the true power. Now, does it have power? Yes. Does Pharaoh have power? Yes, Pharaoh has real power. But do they have ultimate power? And that's the real question. And evangelicals have gotten so entrenched in the belief that it is through our senators, it is through the House of Representatives, it is through the president that real change will happen. That now, because we have bought into that system, we are like Moses and Aaron and all the Israelites blaming each other and putting curses upon one another. This, is, this, this chapter is a good wake-up call for all of us. That we do not put our trust into the princes of this world, but that we turn to God. Amen. And that we look to God to solve our prayer requests and our ails. We have bought into this system that is really created, this system of democracy that is really created to slow down evil. If you think about it, that's the whole reason democracy exists. It's to slow down evil. That's the purpose, but we've bought into it because we think it's some miraculous system that will cure all the good. Now, I love democracy. It's great. But the whole reasoning behind it is to slow down evil. It's not to promote good. It's not to do wonderful things. It's just to prevent evil from speeding up. And the forefathers understood this. But yet somehow we've put our trust in this, this this thing that supposedly is supposed to slow down evil, and we expect it to do things that it was never meant to do in the first place, to solve the problems of our world. The government will not solve the problems of our world. It cannot. It was never created to do so. Now, that doesn't mean you don't get engaged or you don't be active, but you also have to understand its limitations and why it can't do what you want it to do. Because it was never created for that purpose. But what is the evil that is always being propagated through these systems? I've been saying evil here left and right, that Pharaoh propagated all this evil through the systems. And what is the evil that has been disseminated? Right? Because Moses does call the act of Pharaoh evil. What has Pharaoh done? What has our society done? I think what evil is spread is that there is no longer peace and rest among people. The whole denial of the people of God was that they wanted to go rest, to have peace, to be with their God. And what does Pharaoh say? No, you will work harder. And that is the essential of what every sin causes amongst people. It strips people of their rest and peace 
in their life. It's interesting to note when Adam and Eve first sins, there are two areas in which sin seems to have a profound effect upon. Sin has a profound effect upon sex and work. Those are the two areas in where injustices are continually rising up. And we won't have to talk about sex now, but here it's definitely work. Working at a pace where there is no peace and there is no rest. And Moses sees this, and it's called evil. And what does Moses do? Does Moses go about and try to change the system? Does he go and rebuke the four men for um, siding with Pharaoh? Does he do any of those things? No, Moses does the right thing. He goes to God and cries out. Now, we can say maybe Moses didn't do it right. He should have held out a little bit longer. But God here does not rebuke Moses. He rewards Moses. This is what we're supposed to do. When we are bombarded with sin, we see the system around us. We see it coming at us fast. We are supposed to be like Moses. Turn to God, get real with God, and ask him, why haven't you shown yourself? And in verse 1 of chapter 6, God responds. He says, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. I, I, want us to show, I want to show you that God does not rebuke Moses or the Israelites for how they react. God understands our weak nature. So you should never feel guilty about turning to God at whatever point you're in. Because God is just waiting for us to turn to him so he can reveal himself to us. And so at this point, I want to ask all of you to repent. If you have trusted in the powers of the world and not trusted in God, repent but turn to him quickly. And he will answer. He will not answer with rebuke, but he will answer by reminding you who he is and who is God. God is the great I am, the great powerful one. God's greatest attribute, not greatest, but one of his attributes is that he is powerful and almighty. For whatever reason, and I don't know if this is heretical, God is not fast. That dawned on me. God, for whatever reason, God is not considered speedy or quick. He actually moves at a pretty glacial pace in our view. But this is consistent with who God is. Who does he want us to be? He always preaches to us what? Patience and perseverance. Oh, it's maddening. It's maddening. I'll be honest with you. It's kind of maddening. I wish God was fast. I wish he was quick. I wish he would respond to each of these sins quickly and, 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 and greatly and, and powerfully every single time. But we do not control God. God is who God is. And he has said that he is powerful. And that Pharaoh has no control over him. And that he will actually use Pharaoh's system his hand, for his glory and his purpose. This is the God we serve. God is not fast. The world is very fast. 
and it seems like the world is surrounding us, and it seems like sin is always winning. But God is powerful, and God can destroy everything that Pharaoh has done in one swipe, and he will, and he does. Why does it take Jesus around 4,000 years to appear? I don't know. I don't know why it took that long. But when Jesus finally does appear, what does he do? He dies on the cross, resurrects from the dead, and from the whole time continuing, people are saved from death and they are resurrected to everlasting life. Time is no factor for God. He has the power to reach. He has the power to move. He has the power to make a real difference. And compared to what God is going to do, straw, yes, it's evil, but it's insignificant to what God does. Why is it taking so long for Jesus to come back? I don't know. It is a pretty long time. But God has promised that he will come back. And when God comes back, he is not just going to fix our political system. When he comes back... He promises that there will be a whole new world that we will inhabit. That sin will be completely eradicated. That death will no longer exist. This is the God that we serve and that we worship. And we need and we must not forget that. We struggle. I struggle with the speed in which God responds. But as we Dwell upon Jesus in all his goodness. We know that God is mighty and wonderful and is able to do all things. But I've talked about God in the past and God in the future. What does he provide for us now? Because God does provide us with things now. He provides us with peace and rest now. What the world tries to take away from us is this ability to find rest, to find peace. But Jesus has promised that all who labor and are heavy laden, he will give us rest. And as we enter into Jesus, you might find yourself where sin is just bombarding you left and right. You see the evil coming into your life and you are completely surrounded by it. My hope is that you would trust in Jesus, enter his rest and in his peace, and see his power and in all his glory. The hope is that we would trust the process and trust in God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you are real. You're too real. Lord, we thank you that you don't conform to our ideas or you don't conform necessarily to all our requests because that would make us all knowledgeable and that would make us God. But every day we thank you that we are not God and that you are God. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, for all that he has done, that he gives us rest and peace. And we pray, O oh God, that we will continually find rest and peace there. And that, Lord Father, you would receive all the glory and that we would not worry. But that we would find you and that you would reveal yourself to us. We thank you, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.